0: Good morning. This morning we are continuing in our follower series. We're talking about what it means to be a dependent follower. Someone who is desperately dependent upon Christ in their life. And we're going to do that by looking through the lens of suffering. Now suffering is not a very easy topic to talk about because we have all sorts of different experiences and people in the room, some of who are going through suffering right now, some of who have just come through suffering, some who might not even have experienced it yet. I I think about um, suffering through the eyes of children, right? And, um, you know, we can be in our house and we can put dessert on the table for that evening and it's not the right dessert, And I'm sure you have been on the other end of the phrase, this is the worst day ever. Right? And you chuckle because it's funny because what we know, we know that there is many, many worse things to come. And while it's a joy that they have not experienced suffering to that level, we know that it's a reality. It's something that's going to come. We have been on the other end of disease. We have been on the other end of our bodies breaking down. We have been on the other end of death and destruction. We have been on the other end of losing a loved one. We've seen the pictures that come in from all over the world about what's going on with hurricanes and the refugee crisis. And we see all these things. And we want to ask the question, why? Why is this happening to them? Why is this happening to me? but so often that's the wrong question. Why? There was a story that happened to Jesus in the gospels and Jesus was going with his disciples and they came to a blind man and two of the disciples hopped down and they got next to the blind man and and they asked what I have to believe they thought was a really, really astute question. They said, Jesus, Whose sin was it that this man was born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And I could just picture all the people around him. Oh, that's a good question. Man, they're really deep. Jesus said, no, no, it, it wasn't his sin or his parents' sin that this happened. This man was born blind so that my glory could be shown right here and right now. You see, they asked him for an A or a B answer, and he gave them one that they couldn't even comprehend. Because so often when we go through suffering, we don't understand the why, we just understand that we are in it. And so the question then becomes, if we find ourselves in suffering or going through suffering, how can we have the best lenses to view it? And to answer that question today, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5 for the rest of the morning. And here, Paul is going to give us in these few verses, I think, a really good description of how we can look at suffering, not only in our lives, but what we can do for other people. And so it starts in verse 1 of chapter 5, and he says, therefore. Now, I think I've been doing this long enough where we get to the word therefore, and we have to ask what it is. A ah, few of you. Good. Thank you. We have to ask what it is there for. And here in the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul is summarizing chapters 1 through 4. So I want to do that for you very quickly. Paul is writing his, this letter to the Roman church, the church of Rome. He has never been there. But he is eager to see them and he says in chapter 1 that he wants to get there and impart a spiritual gift to them And he wants them to impart a spiritual gift back to him. They want to do this thing We call the church with one another And then paul talks about his motivation for ministry And he says I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of god unto salvation first for the jew and then for the gentile and Paul's ministry was for the Gentile, and he spends the next two chapters really going over what's the differences between a Jew and a Gentile before God. One had the law, one did it, but when it comes to sin, they were equal. Romans 3 gets really, really savage. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks God. In fact, he compares us to vipers. And here we understand this is why we have the problem of suffering. This is why we have the problem of sin. Adam and Eve long ago in a garden fell dead because of their sin. Death entered the world. The curse entered the world. And we have all been stricken from it. But Romans 3 gets better. He says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law. And this righteousness came down in the form of Jesus. And Jesus came and he suffered in our place. He lived 33 years in our suffering broken bodies. And then he went to the cross and he suffered. And Romans 3 says, he was held up as a propitiation so that God's wrath could be on him So that we could be saved by faith. And then in Romans chapter 4, he talks about how this is faith. This is not anything that we have done. This is not something that we have earned. We were not good enough to receive this from God. But no, in his grace, he bestowed it upon those who believe. In the end of chapter 4, he says this. That is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness. This is our story when we believe in this suffering servant who has come down. We have been justified by faith. When he looks at us, he no longer sees our sin and our shame and our guilt. No, when he looks on those who have faith, he sees the righteousness of his own son. And he declares us righteous before him. We have been justified by faith. And it says we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The through our Lord Jesus Christ part is the how. That is how we have peace with God. We have it through him. But what does that mean that we have peace with God? Well, we have cheapened that word peace, haven't we? We've made it into a symbol. We say, hey, peace, right? Kind of chill. It's an okay definition for what's going on here. Right, We have a chill relationship with God. No longer is there enmity or strife between us, but that word peace has so much of a richer meaning. When you are born into this world, whether you know it or like it or not, you are born into a kingdom and into an army. You are born into the kingdom of darkness that is ruled by the ruler of this world. And by definition, you are at war with the Creator. But when we are justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father moves us from the kingdom of darkness and moves us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He moves us from darkness into light, and we change sides in the war. And we are now with the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, Creator. And we have peace with him. And we are not fighting with him anymore. And there's also this picture of the Old Testament word shalom. There is this wholeness, this peace that we do not experience in this earth because of the brokenness and destruction and damage that is out there. And we are now being granted access into this peace that we have now temporarily that will one day be in full. And that is where Paul goes in verse 2. He says, through him, Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the grace of God, we have this access. We have this peace, this relationship with God in which we stand. We stand firm. And then he gets to what I believe is the crux of this passage. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We just sang this verse a few minutes ago, and now we're going to talk about it. How can we rejoice in the glory of God? It's because we understand that our hope is in something better before we are saved and even for some of us as we are learning what it means that we have been saved we put our hope in all sorts of things and we put our hope in things that will fail us we put our hope in family we put our hope in our bank account we put our hope in our career and what's next but none of those things answer the problems of this life when it comes to suffering, when it comes to our human condition, when it comes to our existence, there is only one answer that will satisfy our souls, and that is the coming hope of the glory of God. And we understand that when he comes, that he is bringing a new kingdom It will not be like the kingdom of this world that is reigned by destruction and damage and sin and brokenness. No, it will be a kingdom that will never end. It will be a kingdom where there is no crying or mourning or pain or sin or death and we will be with our God face to face and we will be his people forevermore. And that is our hope. That is what we long for more than anything else. And when we have been justified, when we have been reconciled to God, we have this hope and we can rejoice in it because it is the only thing that will truly satisfy our soul. Everything else will be found wanting. And Paul says, now if you get that, If you understand this, if you understand that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, what does that mean? I want to be very clear about what this means and what it does not mean. When we, when it says we rejoice in our suffering, we absolutely do not rejoice in suffering. I'm afraid that you've been on the wrong side of this verse before where something bad has happened into your life, where you have experienced loss or brokenness or pain and you are struggling to come to grips with it and someone with great intentions in their heart comes up to you and says, suffering is good. Rejoice in your suffering. Or maybe they use the, the, the cousin in, in the book of James. It says, consider it pure joy, brothers when you're going through suffering, and they mean well, and they're using the text, but we never rejoice in suffering, why? Because suffering is evil. Suffering is the curse. We never celebrate death. When anyone dies, it's not a good thing. Yes, we can celebrate that someone has gone to be with the Lord, and they are in glory, and they are not broken anymore. But death is the enemy. We don't celebrate hurricanes and poverty. We don't celebrate sin. These things are the curse. Suffering is the curse. And we will never rejoice in suffering. But yet Paul tells us because of what we believe about Jesus, we can rejoice in suffering. Why? Very next phrase. He says, knowing that. We know something about suffering when we come to Christ. We don't rejoice in the suffering itself. We rejoice in what God will do with suffering because he is good enough and big enough to handle it. And so here is what he says about suffering. Not only that, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is never one of those things that I hear us pray for very often, right? We don't usually think about endurance, but here it says suffering is going to produce endurance in it. I have great respect for endurance runners, right? The ability to get up and go run 26.2 miles, or there's people who run 100 miles, we call them crazy, right? I often get, oh, do, you want to, do you want to go run a marathon? I'm like, no, the first guy who ran a marathon, He died. Like I, that doesn't sound fun, but I have so much respect for them because no one falls out of bed and runs a marathon, right? They fall out of bed the first day and they go run as hard and as fast as they can and they do what they can and they might get a few miles in and that's enough for that day. And then the next day they get up and they go a little farther and they go a little faster and then a couple days later they go a little farther and a little faster and before you know it, 12 miles is nothing and 16 miles is nothing and then they're going 26.2 miles in the time I can go 26.2 steps because they've built up this endurance over time but it has cost them pain and suffering. I've learned about physical endurance myself. We have a little trip we do up with sixth graders after they finish their sixth grade year. It's called the mountain trip and they get to come and they get to take a parent and we go climb Mount Sherman together. It's a 14,000 foot mountain and it is one of the hardest things these kids will ever do in their entire lives. And honestly, it's one of the hardest things their parents will do in their entire lives. But it is this great trip. And I remember before I went the first year. They said, now Brian, this is a a big deal. You need to train your body. You need to eat right. You need to drink a lot of water. You need to do all these things. Have the right shoes. And I didn't listen to a word. Because I was 25 and thought I could jump over the mountain. And when I got to the bottom that first time, my head hurt worse than I could ever remember. And I just wanted to be in a room with a pillow over my face with the lights off because I was in pain. But year two, I figured it out a little bit more. And then year three and year four. And this year was my 13th year going on a mountain trip. And I know how to build up my endurance for that thing. I know how to get ready for that thing. And now I even know enough to be able to get myself ready and still help someone else get up the mountain. But it took endurance. You see, suffering is the same way. No one wakes up that first time and is experiencing loss. It's like, oh, I've got this great. I can handle everything about this. It's going to be super. No. When you go through suffering or loss or brokenness, you experience experience the damage that comes from a relationship that's going in the trash. It hurts like crazy. You don't even want to get out of bed and face it, and someone has to come and rally around you. And then the Spirit does something in you, and you're able to get out of bed, and you're able to eat that day. And the next day, you might even look at your phone. And the third day, you might return a call. And the fourth day, you might do something else because you're learning this process, but then you get through it. You go, oh my goodness. Look what God has brought me through. And I don't want to sit here and tell you that the second time it gets easier because it doesn't. But you do have something to draw on. And you say, God was faithful in this time of suffering. He will be faithful in my next time of suffering. Because when we suffer as believers, God is building endurance in us. But it's not just endurance. It says suffering will produce endurance, but an endurance will produce character. If I lined everyone up, we'd probably have a pretty pretty simple definition of character. Everyone would probably be somewhat close to the same page as what to a, a man or a woman of character looks like. But just to make sure on the same page, I want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are things that the Spirit is building into us to make us look more like Jesus. And those fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things are characters of God that the Spirit is building in us. But usually we have to have something in our life that demands them be used. And that's not usually when things are going great. No, you know when we need self-control? We need self-control where we're sitting in that meeting and someone is screaming at us and they are not talking to us or treating us very well and everything in you wants to hit back just as hard, but you sit there because the Spirit is building self-control in you. We have all been there where someone is trying to get a diagnosis of what is going on and disease is ravaging their bodies and we just need to know. We need to know the answer now but the answer isn't coming and the Spirit is building patience in our life because we're going to need it. We have people in our life that require extra love and extra kindness. We have people in our life that require just huge amounts of gentleness And the Spirit builds those in our lives as we have to walk through times with people. It's not fun to go through brokenness. It's not fun to go through suffering, but we can begin to see what God is doing through it and in it. He is building this endurance for us so that the next time it comes, because it will come again, we have something to draw back on. He is building character within you so that you can stand firm in the face of whatever may come. And then that character produces hope. That character produces hope. Every time you see God do something in your life, you realize that his word is true and that you can count on him and that he can be that light in your storm. And so the next time suffering comes, you say, I can trust in him and in him alone, because he has been there for me. And one day, there will be a day coming where this will never happen again, but until that day, I'm going to put my eyes, and I'm going to fix them on him, the author and perfecter of my faith. And here's the great thing about our hope. Paul tells us in verse 5 that our hope will not disappoint suffering gives way to endurance endurance gives way to character character produces hope and it is the cycle that that the lord is building in you to be able to deal with the suffering that will come and then he says hope will not put us to shame another translation says hope will not disappoint what disappoints us i want to tell you what disappoints us is missed expectations If you came in here and you were selling something to me and you said, Brian, if you will buy my product, it will do X and it will do Y and it will do Z. And if I bought your product and if I took your product and I consumed it, but it only did X and it didn't do Y and it didn't do Z and I came back to you and said, hey, I tried your thing, it did X, it didn't do these other two things, right? A normal person will feel shame there. Their expectations that they put out weren't lived up to. There's a gap, a failure. And we are used to this in our life. We are used to feeling shame, having missed expectations. And Paul is saying when it comes to God and the hope of the glory of God, you will never be put to shame. When it comes to walking through suffering with God, He will never fail. You may not get the result you think is coming, but he is going to provide far more than you could ever exceed or imagine. Because ultimately what he wants to do in you is make you look like his son. Romans chapter 8 says that what the spirit is doing is transforming us and conforming us into the image of the beloved son. And God doesn't let these sufferings in our life go to waste. He doesn't let all of the experiences we go through be for no reason. He takes them and uses them to shape and mold us so that we may more closely follow him. And when we go through these things, it says God's love has been poured into our hearts. When we see God build endurance and character and hope, it just shows us the deep love that God has for us. When, While we were still sinners, he sent his son to suffer for us. And when we believe in him and we are suffering, it confirms his love in us when he does stuff through us. And then it says he does this through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life through times of suffering, it is that confirmation that he is with you. So many of us go through times that are hard and we go, where is God? Is this thing real? Can I really believe in him? Does does he really love me? Have Have I fallen away? And he says, no. When you go through these times of suffering, it is confirmation Because of what he does in you, that he loves you. And his spirit is in you, building things into you. And so for us, as we suffer, Paul says the answer is this. Christianity following Jesus is the only way that suffering is going to make sense in our world. We might not know the why exactly of why it happens, but we know what he does in us through it. That it does not go to waste. And if we know that, my last question for you today is, so what? If you understand what God is doing in suffering, what do you do with that? Well, what I want to put before you this morning is that you step into the suffering of someone else. When you understand what the Lord does In and through our suffering, it should motivate you to step into the suffering of someone else. There was a band that I really liked, and many years ago, uh, their name was Cayman's Call, and they went on a mission trip. And they went to India and to Ethiopia, and they surveyed what was going on in those countries. They saw poverty, they saw uh, corruption, they saw all sorts of devastation, and they came back, and they wrote an entire CV about it to try to raise awareness And they wrote a particular song that resonated with me, and it was called Share the Well. I want to share a uh, a line from it that I think will help us understand how to step into the suffering of someone else. It says, maybe you've got money, maybe you've got time, maybe you've got a living well, and it ain't ever running dry. So I want to walk through that with you this morning. How do you step into the suffering of someone else? Well, maybe you have money. Maybe God has put resources or access to resources into your life, and then maybe he intersects that with a passion. And when he intersects that money, those resources, with a passion, you have an opportunity to step into the life of someone else. You have the opportunity to see things that are going on in your place of work and in your neighborhood, in your community, in your country, and in your world and if God has put you in a position to be able to use whatever level of resource you have, you could step into someone's suffering by giving. And you don't even have to be the one that has the, all the money. We know that there have been terrible hurricanes that have been going on, and right now that there are uh, disaster relief efforts going on in Houston, in Florida, and, and more tragically recently in Puerto Rico. And we've seen how people can rally together. In fact, in Houston, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, a professional athlete named J.J. Watt went on his social media account and said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna give some of my resources to help this city where I live. And I, I want you guys, if you feel like this is something you can do, I want you to join me in this process. And he was hoping to raise $1 million for the city of Houston. Think about $1 million and how far that could go. And that thing went viral. The last I heard, he was up to $37 million that he had raised for the city of Houston to help people whose lives have been broken and whose stories have been forever changed. When we see someone suffering and we choose to step into it and we choose to use the resources that God has given us, we have the opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. Maybe you have time. Maybe talking about finances goes right over your head, but maybe maybe time is something that God is wrestling with you right now. Maybe you have the time to jump into a program. There are lots of existing programs right now that need people to come in and intercede into someone's suffering. Do you have one hour a week that you could give to be a lunch buddy? to jump into someone's story who is going through things that you probably have not experienced and you can come be an encouragement and you can show them what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. Do you have an hour on a weekend or on a Wednesday night to step into the story of a student or a child who come here once every four weeks or twice every four weeks and they need another voice outside of their parents to show them what the love of God is, to step into their story and their suffering because we have children here every week. We have students here every week who are going through things that you can't imagine. Maybe you've got time. Maybe you don't have the time to jump into a program. Maybe you don't have the time to do something on a a weekly or a monthly basis. But maybe you've got a neighbor. Maybe you have a neighbor who's going through a divorce. Maybe you have a neighbor who is losing a parent. Maybe you have someone who's in the hospital with a disease. Maybe you have the time just to go and show up at the hospital. And say, I'm here. Maybe you have the time to go over and sit and listen. You don't even have to have all the answers, but you can go be the hands and the feet of Christ by showing up and stepping into someone's story, even when it's uncomfortable. Maybe you've got money. Maybe you've got time. But maybe you've got a living well, and it ain't ever running dry. You see, ultimately, the only thing that's going to speak to suffering in our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No amount of money and no amount of time can fix the brokenness that is in our world. Only Jesus can do that. And you might say, I don't have money and I don't have time, but if you are sitting here and if you have been justified by faith, if you have been given peace with God, you have the greatest treasure, you have living water living within you. And you have a world of people out there who need it and you can freely give them a drink and it costs you nothing. And the suffering that is going on in this world cannot just be healed with money and time. It is healed with Jesus. And when you step into someone's story and offer them the one and only thing that will truly give them life, If you know who you are and you have seen what God has done in your life and you have been comforted through suffering by his spirit and by believers, turn around and comfort someone else who is walking through suffering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to be in your word and I'm so thankful for Jesus. Father, he came and lived our existence. He suffered in life, and he suffered in death. But he suffered so that we may have life. And Father, we have life in the Son, and if there are people here today who do not have life in the Son, Father, I pray that you would not let them rest until they find their hope in you. Father, if they need to grab a friend on the way out, if they need to go meet with a prayer partner in the lobby, I pray that they would just hold on to what you are stirring in them right now so that they may meet Jesus and have their eternal destiny forever changed. Father, for those of us who have found Jesus, who are trying to follow him, Father, for those of us who have walked through suffering and have seen what you have done in our lives, Father, may we be quick to step into someone else's story because we understand just how much we have been given and how much you want to give others through us. May we be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those in our world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.